And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Take your Bible and turn to 1 Peter. 1 Peter. A very particular message for tonight. The title of this is Troubling Trends with Eternal Consequences. Troubling trends with eternal consequence. Go down for the sake of time to verse number 13. This is 1 Peter chapter 1, the 13th verse. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. That word conversation, if you understand the full context there, it means the absolute total conduct of your life. This is everything that you are. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judges according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Whom by him you do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. Seeing ye have purified your souls and obeying the truth through the scripture unto unfeigned love of the brethren. See that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Praise the Lord. I was only supposed to read the, the 13 through 17, but I could not help myself. That is a powerful, powerful ending to this first chapter in 1 Peter. Let me remind you that God has for you a divine purpose and plan for your life. We made that ever clear and evident this morning that obedience, the perfect will of God, there's nothing better than being inside the perfect will of God. There are a lot of Christians, Christians that are living inside the permissive will of God, but they're not living in the perfect will of God. There is a difference. 
Uh, and this is one of those messages. This is a, even a portion of scripture that has to do specifically with the conduct, the conversation of Christian people while living in this life. And in these few verses, we're reminded of that standard. The standard for living is not Baptist doctrine. The standard for living is not what I can put into words on paper as your pastor. The standard for living as a Christian has already been set for us by God himself in Holy Scripture. There is no gray area. There is no backroom deal to be made. This is the standard. Uh, the wonderful part of this is when I go to this standard, when I look to see what the expectation is on my life, each and every time I go and look, I find that I find myself coming very short of that expectation. Thus, I cast myself at the mercy of Jesus and I ask him to be my help my ever-present help in a time of trouble, and I come to the John 3.30 lifestyle that I keep decreasing less and less of me, my desire, my will, and more of Christ living manifest through me, the way I talk, the way I live, the way I conduct myself, the way I do business, the way I treat my brothers and sisters in Christ, the way I respond to uh, criticism, all of this has already been set for us. It's the standard of holiness. Uh, there is a real attack. There is a real propagated ideology that comes against holiness in our culture. And it's even within some churches that uh, you can live as you please that there's no need to worry about rules and regulations, that if you want to have a, a very open and predominant relationship with alcohol, we'll go right ahead, it's okay. There's no strings attached. Jesus paid it all. You go do what you want to do. And, and if you get nervous and you want to smoke pot, well, just go right ahead. It's, it's an herb and, and, and it grows, so it's okay. You go ahead and, and numb your mind with this, this drug. And it's okay. Jesus paid it all. It's under grace. It's under blood. Just go and do as you please. That is not the standard that Jesus sets for his people in his word. If you love me, obey my commandments. Part of being in that life following Christ is holding to his standard. His standard is holiness. There is a real push to strip away what holiness means. There's a real concerted effort to make it okay that you don't have to be married anymore to live together. Uh, you don't have to be married to have children. Uh, and what it does is it strips God of authority. It strips God of his predominant place as the ruler of our lives. It comes down to this. Is Jesus truly the Lord of every aspect of your life? The standard has been set. It's holiness. Now, Men take things like uh, these verses and sometimes they like to take them out of context and build little boxes for people to live in and they build boxes of fear or they take extra biblical things and uh, create legalistic ideology. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a heart issue. I'm not talking about religion. I'm not talking about lighting candles. I'm talking about your heart. What does your heart want? What does your heart desire? 
Is your heart's desire to please the Lord? It comes back and every bit of this tonight is rooted in holiness. Holiness is the standard. But there is a troubling trend that's taking place inside the church, inside our culture, and especially within the next generation, the folks that are next door tonight. There's something that you need to be aware of. Um, I think it's safe to say that a lot of us in this room are a part of social media. If you're on social media in any form or fashion, raise your hand. Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Twitter. I don't know anymore. A lot of us, most of us. Let's go ahead and get this out of the way. I am not standing behind this pulpit saying that you should not have social media. Everybody say amen. amen. I am not standing here saying that it is a sin for you to possess an Instagram account or a Facebook account. That's not what this is. Uh, right now, this very moment, we're live on Facebook and there are many of our friends watching right now uh, and they're on Facebook and they're worshiping with us online and their avenue is Facebook. There are some who are on YouTube and they're watching us, they're worshiping with us online. It is a wonderful tool of the gospel. But there are some troubling trends that are taking place within the context of social media. And even if you're not on social media, even if you're not connected with a personal account, it's still affecting everyone that comes to church. It's an incredible tool, but there are some troubling trends that we want to talk about tonight. I'm not trying to discourage you from having a social media account. I am trying to encourage you to do social media at the level and at the standard that God calls holiness. It may be quiet tonight. There are some brilliant minds in our world that have created incredible platforms. Hundreds of millions of people are connected all around the world on social media. In 2020, over 3.6 billion people were using social media worldwide. And that number has already increased to over 4.41 billion people using some form of social media. That's incredible. That's everything in your life online. Uh, there are even new things that have taken place since the pandemic. Uh, now there's more than social media. There's a different type of connectivity. There's the connectivity of instant gratification, of access and resource to anything and everything at the click of a button. I can sit in a hotel lobby in Washington, D.C., and I can click a few things that I want out of the grocery store, and within 30 minutes, 30 minutes, I can be sitting in that same lobby, and a guy walks in with a big brown paper bag, and inside that brown paper bag is Honey Nut Cheerios, 2% milk, a couple of bananas, and plastic spoons, and a little bowl to put it all in. I've done it, and it's so cool. In 30 minutes, I got my Honey Nut Cheerios, I got my bananas, and I got everything I wanted. Just at the couple clicks of a button. There is instant access to so much. But as parents, as grandparents, as concerned church members, there is a vast cornucopia of issues and problems that are coming from social media, being connected, our lives put online for everyone to see. 
It's instant access to thousands of lives and much of that content is not guarded. Uh, I think one thing that all of us can say without any sort of hesitation is that if we're a part of social media, if you're on Instagram, if you're on Twitter, if you're on Facebook, and if you're putting pictures of your family online for uh, your family and friends to see, always post that picture or always post that post knowing that the whole world can see what you're posting and they can read what you're posting and they have access to that picture for all time and all eternity. It's like toothpaste. Once you squeeze it out of that tube, you're not going to get it back in the tube without making a big mess. It's very important that we understand what we're posting and why we're posting it. Uh, If you have teenagers, moms and dads, especially teenage daughters, uh, be very, very cautious as to what your teenage daughters are posting on social media. Be very cautious as to what you are posting as mom and dad. Go to the lake, go to the beach, but leave it off of social media. You say, why should we? Because there is a world raging coming after our families and they're using any soft spot they can to attack our families, to attack our children, and to strip our teenagers and our young people of innocence. It's a war. It's not popular in 2022 to go through this and allow ourselves to digest this. But again, remember, the standard isn't what I said. The standard is the holiness that God has set. The greatest wall between our generation, and I'm talking about everyone that's living and breathing right now. The greatest wall between our generation and holiness is the ease of access to such unholy content without immediate consequence. Let me say that again. The greatest wall between our generation and holiness could be the ease of access to such unholy content without immediate consequence. There are 10 and 11 year olds coming in contact with ministries all across the country who are coming into pastor's offices and youth pastor's offices and children's director's offices with pornography addictions at 10 and 11 years old. This should not be so. But it's the world in which we're living. It's lewd content. It's people who do not hold themselves to any type of standard any type of morality. Uh, If you feed from a trough that's being prepared by people who cook that meal or prepare that content without God reigning in their life and you continue to consume the content that those unsaved pagans continue to produce, eventually you're going to get sick. It's why you have to consume content that comes from the Father's table. You have to consume content that's pure and holy and right and that allows you an opportunity to think about holy and righteous things. On Instagram, there's a a dangerous little button called explore. It's a magnifying glass or a little globe and you click it and the moment you click it, your phone is talking to Instagram. Instagram is talking to its computers. The AI, the algorithm knows that I'm a 32-year-old male. That algorithm knows that I like Atlanta Braves baseball, tender place. 
It knows that I like Alabama football. Tender place. It knows that I like Green Bay Packer football. Whew, 0 for 3, tender place. It knows what I like to look at. It knows what my age bracket for the area in which I live. It knows what I want to see because of my age and my disposition to certain stereotypes. And Instagram will search the hundreds of millions of accounts all over the world and within less than a second, I have access to hundreds of thousands of options that can lead me down one path or another for me to consume content as a 32-year-old man. There are a couple of things here. Number one, no one has business going and exploring for an opportunity to fracture your relationship with God. That's asking for trouble. There is no guard. There is no filter. There is nothing that stands between all hell and your eyes. This is where we are as a people. This is where we are as a culture. And really, it's the enemy of your mind. It's the enemy of your marriage. It's the enemy of your ministry, if you have one. Uh, the internet is a beautiful thing, but it is such a dangerous thing. Uh, there are obviously many things we could talk about, about the content that we post, the content that's there, the content that you can find all over the internet. We do not have to take any more time to talk about how horrible some of those things are. Run from them. Flee from them. If you must, get a flip phone. Come off the internet. You can do it. If that's what it takes for you to live for the Lord, then do so and do it today. Uh, but there's another alarming trend, and this is really the heart of what I want to get to, and we'll get to it quickly. But social media, there's a disease that you can catch from being on social media and not keeping your heart guarded. Uh, it's a diabolical disease and it can ruin someone if you're not careful. There are three things I want to give you from social media, from internet use, and from living in a home with someone who is connected that gives you information, that feeds you information about the people they're seeing on social media. It's three unbecoming trends or charges against the church and against people. And we've got to address it. Number one is spiritual skepticism. Spiritual skepticism. If you're not careful, you'll see someone at a church service on Sunday and you'll see their hand go up. You'll see them come to an altar. You'll watch them worship. You'll run into them. They're there at church. So are you. And then on Monday or Tuesday, you'll see something of that same person on social media. They'll post something on Instagram or Facebook. And you'll look for something to connect your last memory with them here at church and what you're seeing. Uh, wait a minute. Mm, let's do a little investigating here. I, I saw them raise their hand. I saw the tear. I saw them going to the altar. Oh, there they are on social media on Monday. Click. We start scrolling through pictures. Oh. Oh. 
wonder what this is about. Wonder why they were there. It's that I wonder what's in that cup. I wonder who else was with them. I wonder why they did that and said that. It's an opportunity for seeds to be planted in your heart against something God is doing for them in their life as they grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ and it leads to spiritual skepticism. Uh, there is so much, there is such a thing as too much information. Who's ever heard of TMI? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I never see anybody post anything on social media about how much dirty laundry they got to do. If they do, ew, that's gross. I don't wanna see your dirty socks. But the reality of social media is it allows me to control the narrative about what people know and see about me, what they think about me. I want to control what you know about my life. And if we're not careful, we'll build ourselves up on social media that when other people see us, they're not looking into the reality of our life. And it allows skepticism to come, to doubt the truth of someone's word, this perspective of people formed online. And if you're not careful, you'll know someone from social media and be skeptical about them and not actually know them. Well, I know you were there and I know you went there and I know you did that, but I don't really know you. There's a difference in knowing someone and being a friend on Facebook or Instagram follower. But if you're not careful, it can lead to spiritual skepticism. There are some folks that love to post what the Lord's done in their life. And I love that. I love when someone posts a Bible verse and they say, God used this verse to speak to me this week. God's doing something great in my life. I give him all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. And if you're not careful, while you're scrolling and while you come across other content, something like that comes up, the enemy will take something you know about that person bring it to your memory, and cause you to be skeptical. This is a very, very concerning thing for all of us. We need to be guarded in the way that we're on social media, in the way that we live our lives on social media. But spiritual skepticism. Uh, the greatest solution to this is encouragement. It's encouragement. Stay in the fight. Keep going. Those are the words that need to be coming out of our mouths to our brothers and sisters in Christ. If someone posts something on social media and it goes contrary to what you know they've been going through the last five or six months, they've been struggling, they've been having a hard time, they've been missing from church, yet they're posting Bible verses every day, you don't know the whole story. Quit forming your own opinion. Go to that person and encourage them. Instead of using it as a tool or a crowbar to beat them while they're down, Take the opportunity to go to them and say, hey, I'm praying for you. I'm asking God to do what only he can. Be cautious with what you're posting and what you're watching from other people. It can lead to spiritual skepticism. Even here in church, you can really hinder the spirit. Secondly, there's something that's easy to do. It's growing at a very rapid, rapid rate but spiritual satire, spiritual satire. There are channels, there are Twitter accounts, Facebook pages, websites that are dedicated to nothing but satire. They're dedicated to nothing 
but satire. And satire is the use of humor or irony or an exaggeration or ridicule to expose or criticize people's stupidity, vices, or opinion. That's the definition of satire. And even these, these, these sites, these pages, they call themselves spiritual satire as if it's some sort of protective element that allows them to say whatever they want to say and however they want to say it. You say, what does this have to do with me? This gives you the temperature and the tone of where we are as a people. I'm talking about droves of Twitter pages, of Instagram pages and Facebook accounts who are created and who are updated daily that do nothing but make fun of the things of God. They'll take clips of preachers and they'll mash them up with something from a movie or they'll take a clip of that preacher stuttering or stumbling in his words or like granddaddy did one time, he put Zacchaeus in the grave and Lazarus in the tree. It happens. But instead of making fun of it, how about praying for the man? He's been in a tent meeting the past 14 weeks. He's dead tired. Spiritual satire. Uh, there is no room inside of authentic Christianity for spiritual satire. It is not humorous. It is not funny. It is not safe to take the holy things of God and use it as an opportunity to poke fun or to make light of a situation. Things that happen in this house of prayer don't belong to us. They belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. We're here for his glory, for his honor. Uh, but let's be careful even what we allow in our homes. It's easy to say something uh, uh, very out of color or context and, and not address it later or uh, to, to hear something come out of someone's mouth and just let it go. These are the things of God we're, we're speaking about. Uh, it's very, very important that we guard ourselves against such activity, uh, spiritual satire that you would use the Holy Ghost or that you would use the name of Jesus to try to find something funny or light. Uh, it's just not appropriate. But it's taking place. And your young people, uh, you may be surprised what they know about accounts like this that are online. Uh, many of them have probably seen a clip of one of their favorite preachers being made fun of. There is no room for this. And one day those people will answer to God for their time and their talent being wasted to clip clips of preachers making an error and posting it online. Uh, why aren't they taking that and going to one of these churches that has no media help and helping get the word out, taking the truth of the gospel? I don't really understand it. But it's part of what we're living in. And you as a people, you as parents and as grandparents, those that pray for the children of our church, the future generation, you need to help protect them against spiritual satire. Eternity weighs in the balance. There's nothing funny about a soul dying and going to hell. There's nothing funny about a preacher who gets tied up in his tongue and has a hard time getting a word out and gets really red in the face and he's obviously embarrassed. And then to use that as a clip to point out that he's a jar of clay, a vessel that just simply is trying to be used by God. God help us. Spiritual satire. The third is spiritual sacrilege. Sacrilege. This is simply a violation or a misuse of the things of God. Making fun of someone for how they worship. 
is dangerous. It's very dangerous. If there's someone in the choir and they do things that strike you odd, or if someone leads music, or if someone preaches a particular way, we have to be very cautious when we allow words to come out of our mouths about people who are doing something for the Lord. Well, I don't really understand why she has to bob her head like that when she sings. Well, for all you know, she has a terrible migraine problem and a, 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 a fused neck and she's got to keep it moving or she gets uh, stiff in the neck and can't sing. Again, a lot of this comes back to simple kindness and love for each other. But making fun of how someone preaches or teaches or sings, it's very, very dangerous. Mocking the way someone honors the Lord, it's very, very dangerous. Uh, they're giving their best. They're doing it the way maybe they were taught or maybe the only way they know how. You could have an opinion formed on someone who's been saved just a few months and all they know to do is praise the Lord in the way they know how. It's very important that we be very cautious about this. And then using the Lord's name. Uh, going to a meal and talking about how good the food is and then somehow tying in the Holy Ghost into that food. We've got to be very careful, church. Our teenagers, our young people, the generations to come, they need to hear when the name Jesus comes out of our mouth, when the name Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit comes out of our mouth, that there is a level of excellence in our mouths as it pertains to the things of God. It's not just some color to add to our language. Spiritual sacrilege, a complete and total violation. It's a very, very unbecoming conduct of Christian people. We have to be very aware of the fact that we're in the foxhole together. This fight, this struggle, this battle, my goodness, I need you and you need me. And if you worship a little differently than I do, it's not my job to know your heart, to know what God's doing in your life. It's my job to encourage you to keep worshiping, to keep praising, to keep singing, to keep preaching. I know this is not necessarily a swing from the chandelier preaching, but it's on my heart and I think so very much that if we'll embrace some of this, God will help us. The solution to this, again, is excellence in everything that you say and do as it pertains to the Lord Jesus and to the Holy Spirit. And really, without these implementations of tasks that God's given us as we guard our hearts, our minds, our language, and our actions, as we pursue holiness and the way we live our lives online, there's a few things that you have to know I believe with all my heart, if we don't get these things right, it could mean uh, some consequence. And these are the trends that a lot of churches, I believe with all of my heart, this is the reason their church is struggling in the way that it is. There are churches who are having a hard time finding a sure footing for the next five or ten years because these things, the sacrilege, the satire, uh, and, and even... And even beyond this, that it's creating uh, some sort of skeptical attitude towards everything that is done in the name of Jesus. That you can't believe your preacher and you need to be skeptical about everything he says. There's a consequence to this. You'll pay for it somewhere. 
And it may be with the attitude of your children or your grandchildren towards the things of God. My goodness, that's alarming. But it'll always quench revival. If these things are in your life, if you're skeptical, if there's any type of satirical attitude towards the things of God, that it's light and funny all the time, we can have joy, we can have peace, we can enjoy being Christians. But at some point, this thing's become serious. When we weep and we mourn over lost people, especially if there's a violation or misuse of the things of God, you'll never, ever, ever experience personal revival. You'll never be able to. If you can't get past skepticism, and if you can't get past looking at the things of God lightheartedly, you'll never be set ablaze for the glory of God in personal revival. It will always quench revival. Uh, Secondly, it will always crush spirits. It will crush your spirit, and it will also crush the spirits of ones around you. We're all on the same team. We're on the same team. We belong to the family of God. And when we allow something like skepticism or we allow our words to be a weapon and we crush the heart of someone or we rob them of what they're doing for the Lord and we crush them, we hurt them, uh, you could do damage that won't be repaired until we get to heaven. It's so important that we guard our words and our snap reactions emotionally, especially with our brothers and sisters. It can crush spirits. And then if you're not careful, skepticism, it'll lead you to a place where the satire becomes the only thing happening. And then everything that God's trying to do through people's lives is so bogged down by people's attitudes and mean looks. If you're not careful, if this was ever to take root here at Trinity, you'd see a great decline in the attitude, the atmosphere, and maybe even the attendance of a church. There are so many good, godly people holding on as the last five or 10 or 20 people in little mountain churches all over the Southeast. And the consequence of their condition goes back the beginning to skepticism, misuse and mishandling the things of God. Uh, Many good churches have been ruined to a point of utter desolation by groups of men called deacons or elders or men who Uh, maybe bring in the most money into a church and they use it as a kingdom. And what they wind up doing is God's not within a hundred miles of that situation. There's five or 10 people who want to do the right thing, who want to carry on and do what God's called them to do. God's honoring them and he's keeping a good set of record books, but there's a price to be paid. If you're not careful, the price will be spiritual desolation in your church. There is consequence to our conduct. And in a world that we're living in, where we're connected to more things and more ideas and more technology than ever before, it's vital that the church equip itself to be able to hold to the standard of holiness and be educated. Here's here's my heart for every person in this room. Here's my heart. Obviously, the word of God. Be ye holy, for I am holy. That's my heart for you. But here's, here's where I want to just 
drive the nail straight through the board. There's no excuse for blissful ignorance. We cannot use the excuse anymore of, well, I didn't know. Wish somebody would have told me. We're going to get in the habit. We've got to be in the habit of knowing what our families are living in and what they're going through, even in their lives that they're living online. We must know. We must put our hands on this information. And then we need to beg God, just like we did a few minutes ago, to keep us pure, to keep us clean, and that we would hold ourselves to that high standard of holiness in all that we do. This isn't fun. This isn't easy. And I think Trinity embodies the polar opposite of a lot of this. I really do. But I do think it's prudent for us to guard against it. We don't want any of this in our lives or in our church or in our ministries. We want to stay right where God wants us to be, pursuing him in the standard of holiness, but protecting against the troubling trends that are happening in our world. Holy Father, in Jesus' name, we lay it at your feet. Use this time to reveal some things in our hearts. God, if we have an online account, if we have social media for us or for our family, Lord, we pray that it would be pleasing to you everything that we post, everything that we say, every picture that we put online. Lord, would it meet your standard of holiness? Lord, I pray that you'd forgive me, Lord, for I fall short so many times of your standard. Lord, I want to be different. I want to change. I want to grow. And Lord, I pray that this would be the attitude in the heart of every believer that's here. Lord, we'll never reach sinless perfection in this life. But Lord, there is a day coming, soon and very soon, where I'm going to be glorified. My body will be new. I won't sin. I won't mess up. I won't let you down anymore. And I thank you for that day that's coming. I anticipate it with a heart of thanksgiving. Lord, help us to be the people you want us to be. In Jesus' name, we all pray together. Amen and amen.